Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 16 through 23. Let's open. Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you for loving us. Lord, we never want to lose sight of that love. When we look at the cross, how could we ever question your love? No matter what we're going through, what you endured for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Help us to see in this world as you see this world. Help us to be one as you are with the Father. That we would not be about our own agendas, but we would have one mission to glorify you, Father. Speak to us today as we look to your word. And all of God's people said, Amen. Try again. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 through 23. As we look at our message today, I've titled it, Avoiding the Air of Legalism. Now I want to ask a question. Is anyone here that is legalistic in some way? Here's a clue. Every one of us struggle with something in legalism. Legalism is a sin. Legalism is bondage. Legalism is hurtful, what we do to other people. And we need to avoid the air of this legalism. This is what the church of Colossae was going through. Well, let's read our text. Follow with me in verse 16. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food, drink, or in respect to festival or new moon or a Sabbath day, the things which are mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement, in the worship of angels, and taking his stand on visions he has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, and grows with the growth in which from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of this world, why as if you are living in the world do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? which are all referred to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and the teaching of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion, self-abasement, severe treatment of the body, but are no value against fleshly indulgences. Paul's remedy to false teaching it's simple. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's it. In fact, in reality, if you grasp that, you could leave now. Because that's what it boils down to, is keeping our eyes locked upon the author and the finisher of our faith. But that is not natural, is it? No. That's why in Hebrews he says, strive to enter in to his rest, resting in the Lord Jesus Christ, because it's not natural for you and me to rest in Jesus Christ, because we're so busy in our flesh trying to do things in our own power. 
And what happens is that makes you and me a good failure. Well, again, keep your eyes on Jesus because Christ is sufficient alone. He's all that you ever need. Have you noticed when you were young that the boys were chasing the girls? The girls were chasing the boys, thinking that was going to make them happy. For some, it might be the bottle, or maybe marijuana, or something else, or surfing, or any kind of sport. We look continually for something to satisfy us. And the only thing that can ever satisfy you is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time you just hung out with Jesus? Oh, I don't mean your daily just devotions, but just sat there with Him and listen. And let him speak. And he'll tell you how much he loves you. And he adores you. And he's got a plan for your life. And each day it will unveil, roll out more and more what he has. And and see, we're trying to be busy doing, doing, doing. And this is so often what legalism, it's about doing. See, the Colossian heresy was uh, eclectic. It was a mixture of Jewish legalism and Greek speculation, mysticism of the Orient. Let me stop again. Because oftentimes in what we call the professing church, all of those things can be included in a Sunday morning service. Not about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about our wealth. It's not about a retirement. It's about Him. That when you and I choose to walk in that straight, narrow path that leads to life, we find that fullness of joy in us. We find, I have been made, you have been made to be right in this place. And He'll confirm that to you with a peace that passeth all understanding. It's hard, though. We get antsy, don't we? Because sometimes when we begin that, he begins to just wait to see how long we can just calmly sit there. Just stop and think. If I would just give you one of those pregnant pauses for about three minutes, everybody begins to look around to see how everybody else is responding, reacting, See, the fact is, Colossae lay in such a place where the trade route would go through this area. It was an important trade route, very near. It it traveled from the east and west. It was a collecting point for all kinds of rubbish. You understand that. We're going to be starting a series again in in the fall. It's called The Truth Project. And you have bought into the rubbish too. And I bought into the rubbish of this society. See, life with Christ is much different than probably the way that you're living today. He has so much more for you than 
you can even ever imagine. Look with me again in verse 16. We're going to look at legalism, therefore. No one is to act in your judge in regard to food. Now the King James inserts a different word there. It uses the word meat. It's interchangeable. can be used in both places, just food in general, or, or just meat, or drink, or respect a festival, or new moon, or Sabbath day. And notice that in verse 17 it goes on to say things which are mere shadows of what is to come, and the substance belongs to Christ. Legalism we're going to talk about is, is focused on and is, is focusing on human achievement. How much can I do? How, what can I accomplish? It's driven by rules and regulations, living up to a, a certain standard. And the church is full of these traditions. In fact, if you're a good Christian, maybe you've heard this, that you'd read five chapters of the Bible a day. You'd read two in the Old Testament, two in the New Testament, and one of the wisdom. But all of us are wired different. Some can't actually read very well. When I started, I was not a reader. I had a hard time reading. I still have a hard time reading sometimes. So I listened. But here's the key. Legalism says you've got to do, do, do. And what I'm going to encourage you is to read or listen. We go to the Bible. We go to the Word. We go to prayer to hear God. Whether it's one verse, two verses, 20 verses, 10 chapters. But we read with the intent to hear God. To hear His heart. It's kind of like this precious little baby, I remember my little baby. And I would lay the baby on my chest. I'm not hinting to you. But love to hear the heartbeat. You know how that is? And we should, in the same way, we come to the Lord and, and, and we want to lay our head upon his bosom. Remember John, how he did that. God wants that intimacy with you and me. But see, man-made rules have this conformity that you do it a certain way and everyone else has to do it that same way. And that is legalism. And each of us will learn a different way. Each of us will respond a different way. Some will have a processor that is processing fast and some are very slow and it's okay. What's important is that we know Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified. Why the world is doing this. See, our contentment is simply in Christ because we know He's provided salvation, forgiveness, and victory in Christ. You know today, you guys are all victorious. One more time, amen, like the, the worship. There, that, that should be something. You are victorious in Christ Jesus. You need that encouragement. You need to know that you're victorious because you will fall. You will fall today. You will fall tomorrow. But yet you'll know that he'll pick you up. He'll get you on that path. And you'll move down in the power of the Spirit. And he sees you just as you've never sinned. He's our strength. 
Look with me on the screen, Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For in him the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and him you've been made complete. He is the head over all rule and authority. So in him you have been made complete. He is all you ever need. Now, going back to verse 16 in the beginning, he says, therefore, therefore no one is to act as your judge. And that's what was happening in, in the church in, in Colossae as they were judging them because they were not living up to their standards. That is the Jewish legalizers. And we'll look at the others. But the fact is, don't judge and don't let anyone judge you. Don't be nasty. Just let it fall on deaf ears. Romans 14.3 says this, The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. For God has accepted him. There are going to be different ways. There's going to be different preferences. But your relationship with Jesus is what's important. And what they're doing is putting these legalistic rules above their relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will show you what is pleasing unto him. As you walk with him, he will guide you. So simply he's saying, so don't let anyone sit in judgment over you. He goes on in respect to holidays, that is, observance of of a sacred calendar, Levitical laws. Those things were, to the Jews, were very important. And most people don't understand the importance of those ceremonial laws. It wasn't those things made God so happy when he did it. He just, oh, I'm so happy today seeing you keep all these different things. But it was to keep those people focused upon him. It was to keep them distinct as a people, as Jewish people together. It's the only nation in the world that had been separated for 2,000 years and brought back together as a nation. The Jewish people, these things, kept them as a people, as a culture. After all that time, God had a plan and God had a purpose, and that was the main purpose. Now the law, if you remember, is perfect in converting the soul, and it would bring them, think about this, to Christ. That was the purpose of it. But these things were to bond them, to unite them, to bring them in culture together, and keep them focused upon God. But it wasn't a requirement for the Gentiles. And it wasn't even a requirement for the Jews who became believers. Well, some were very zealous for the law and they continued. That was okay for them to do it as long as they didn't bind it upon someone else. Or the Gentiles to say, oh, we're free. Now, you can't do this anymore. But each one is to decide in their own heart what is right and what is pleasing. And whatever you do, You do it unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We recently this year had a a biblical dinner. We had a Galilean wedding feast. Not in a legalistic way, but to explain the meaning of all these different things. They were shadows and pictures we'll talk about in just a second. But again, these Christians, they were free from these. They had no obligation but the Jewish people, 
that is, the legalizers, were binding it upon the people. Romans 10.4 says this, For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. Again, in Galatians, notice what it says in chapter 5, verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not subject yourself to the yoke of slavery. A freedom that's in Christ. A freedom not to just abide by rules, but be motivated by love. Because when you became a believer, he wrote on the tablets of your heart. You know what's right. You know what's wrong. You want to do the right thing. Your, your spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak. We all know that one very well. But as we grow in that relationship with the Lord, we cast our cares upon him, and we find that we draw our strength from him. We find we are victorious in him. We need to stay focused upon him, and he continually lifts us up and never condemns us but builds us up. See, legalism is useless because it cannot restrain the flesh. The false teachers were telling the the Colossians that it, it was not enough just to have Christ, but you needed to keep these Jewish ceremonial laws, and then Christ will accept you. It's not true. Salvation is believing and trusting in Jesus Christ alone. And no works. The only work that you and I are ever called to do is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And out of a loving heart, we find that we're doing things that honor Him, but not to find favor, but because we found favor, we want to serve Him and we want to love Him. But these false teachers, their prohibitions who are about food and about drink, and they're based upon these dietary laws... But again, they were only a mark to make the people distinct so they would not intermingle with the people. And if you remember, when they went into that promised land, they were told they were to eradicate them, destroy them, and it seems so cruel. But if you don't, see, these people had come to that point of no return. The people were sacrificing their own babies to to their gods. If you don't, you will become just like them. And many of the Israelites did the same thing. You know, that picture is in a spiritual sense, it's a shadow, is, is we have to destroy the flesh in here. Oh, not the body. No, no. Some people have taken that view, and we'll talk about that in a second, but our fleshly desires. Notice Mark 7, verses 14 and 15, and then I'll go to 18 and 19. After he had called the crowd to him, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things that proceed out of the man are what defile the man. In verse 18, and he said to them, Are you so lacking of understanding also? Do you not understand whatever goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him? because it does not go into the heart, but into the stomach, and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. It's, it's, it's something that you and I can eat, because we, the Lord has blessed it. He's given it to us. We do it unto the Lord. It doesn't mean you have to. In fact, some people, because of health reasons, may not eat some things. But the thought is, if I eat it, God won't be happy with me. 
Well, let me tell you, if you want it, and you can eat it, and God will still love you. And it's sad we go into this bondage. Romans chapter 14, look at verse 5 and 6 on the screen. One man regards one day above another, another regards another day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes a day observes it to the Lord, and he who eats does so to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God, and he who eats for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. So it's all focused upon God. Whether a man eats or not eats, it's a choice. Whatever you do, you do to the glory of God. God's concerned about our hearts. Because if your heart and my heart is right, the outward actions, they will be right. And they will be changing. And you'll be coming more and more like him every day. Let me read again, not on the screen this time, but Acts chapter 10, verse 9 through 16. On the next day, as it were on the way, approaching a city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and he was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance and he saw the sky open and the object like a great sheet coming down and lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals, crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And the voice came to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And again the voice came to him a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy, and this happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up to the sky. Now again, whether a person wants to eat or not, do not do it because of legalism. And this one says, God has given all. All these were shadows and pictures, teaching the people that their hearts were unclean, and how they were to approach God, clean, with clean hands. Even for you and me, before we even come to church, one of the things that you should be doing is preparing your heart, even last night. Whether it be a Bible study or whatever, prepare your heart. God, open up my heart. Cleanse my heart. Search my heart and see if there's any wicked way. Lord, give me ears to hear and a heart that desires to obey you. God, I want to see you in all your glory. God, touch that person next to me wherever I sit. God, set me next to someone that you want to use me with, to pray over. That we should be coming with expectation that God can use us just the way we are. A mother, a father, a grandfather, a grandmother, a child. It's not by keeping a bunch of regulations but a life that is really just set apart to God and open to God and led by God in the Spirit. Acts 15, verse 28 and 29 on the screen, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no burden, lay upon you no greater burden than the essentials. And what are those essentials? Verse 29 says to abstain from things sacrificed to idols, from blood, from things strangled, from fornication. And if you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. 
Now, one of the reasons they were doing this, this was the Jerusalem Council, if you remember in Acts 15, is, is really that the Gentiles would not be stumbling the Jewish people. And we need to be cautious on our choices. Will it stumble someone? Is it wrong? No. Is it right? It's not necessarily right. It depends on your motive. But sometimes out of love, we just don't do things because we don't want to stumble people. It's probably better not to than to. Because some people can't drink. You know what I mean by that? They don't, can't stop. In some parts of the world, there's some that the water is so bad that they have to drink a little wine. Some people, all they do is condemn someone else, and yet when they condemn someone for making a choice they do, they're really condemning themselves. That's what legalism does. It's very judgmental. It's very fault-finding. You've heard me use that phrase. There's sin, sniffing, fault-finding. Looking for sin when they come in. That's not why we come. We come to worship the King. We come to know Him. We come to love Him. We come to love each other. Well, many Jewish Christians continued at that time to circumcise their children, and they were very zealous for the law, and that's fine as long as they weren't trusting in it, and as long as they weren't binding it upon the Gentiles, and that's why the Jerusalem Council had to make a decision. Because they saw what God was doing apart from these things. They recognized again that the Gentiles who had been saved out of paganism didn't need to observe these laws. Today, there are many that want to be Jews, and they want to keep the law, thinking that they can get closer to God. All you need to do is set yourself apart for God. Be still and know He's God. Say to the Lord, your servant is listening. Turn off the phones. Check out and listen to him speak and ask questions. But the Judaizers, however, continually were imposing these mosaic legalism laws. God will only accept you if you do these things. Look at Colossians 2.20 on the screen. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you're living in the world, do you submit yourself to these decrees? Now, if you've got a pencil or a pen, circle that word if, because that word if could be put as since. Since you have died with Christ, that means your identification with Christ, like baptism, you identify being buried with him and raised in that newness of life. You didn't really die, but you identify with his death and resurrection, what he's done for you, and, and that you are victorious and free. If you've really done that, why are you submitting to these things? Because you're in Christ. You are victorious. You don't need to trust in these things. You walk in the Spirit. You walk in grace. So in verse 16, he says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food, drink, respect to festival, new moon, and Sabbath day. Cautions were to be on guard against those who said, You've got to obey these things. There are those within the body of Christ today. You can't do this. And you can't do that. I think the greatest joy for any pastor 
any leader of the church, is to see people come in with lives just topsy-turvy. And as they continue in Jesus, as they continue to watch their lives turn right side up, watch them begin to radiate the glory of God, watch them change. See, a pastor and the leaders are not to be hall monitors checking on everybody as they come through the doors, but simply to point them to Christ because it's the Holy Spirit that will do the work in your heart, the work in my heart. So we don't have to be checking people unless it was someone in leadership that they blatantly sin. And then that becomes a discipline problem, but it's not talking about keeping a bunch of rules. It's keeping the focus upon Jesus. But see, here in this church, it was a, a ringleader, you might call him. It was a, a, a Charmin-type character, a cult leader. He was drawing people after himself. He loved the power, loved the show. And they needed to be on guard against these. And it was so important. So they try and get them to keep all of these festivals, these feasts. Now these were shadows, as we mentioned in verse 17. They were mere shadows of what is to come. Now, the word, it speaks of a, a foreshadowing events. Now, twofold, and I'm not going to go into that because one day we're going to talk just about shadows, a whole message on it one day. But they were a little literal fulfillment of something that was going to happen to each one of them, but it also spoke of a prophetic fulfillment down the road of something to happen. That's why it's a shadow. They were trying to hang on to the shadow. And God says the same thing, I'm right here. He wants to embrace you. He wants to hold you. But that's what they were trying to do is hang on to something. And he was the substance. It was all about him. In Luke 24, if you remember when he walked the road down Emmaus and he revealed from again, from the Old Testament right through, it was all about him. Shadows and pictures being fulfilled. So the whole law was a mere shadow. It looked forward and it looked forward to Christ and what was to come. And there's some mere shadows today looking forward to the very end times. Look at Hebrews 10.1 on the screen for the law. Since it was only a shadow of good things to come. Stop and think. I love that phrase, the best is yet to come. It really is. Good things are going to come. And I'm closer than some of you. But the best is yet to come. So for the law, since only as a shadow of the good things to come, uh, not the very form of things can never, but the same sacrifice which they offer continually year after year, make perfect to those who draw near. It's just shadows. Christ was that Lamb of God. He's the one we want to hang on to. As long as the person's hanging on to a shadow, they're, they're missing the main thing. It is about so these, these Jewish festivals, these observances in the Old Testament, it was really kind of a, a foretaste of the best to come. Don't hang on the shadow. Be patient, wait, long. Notice Romans 14.4. It says, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, 
and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. So even when somebody's a, a little off base, but if they love the Lord, you know what? God always brings them back in line. I love that. He's the one that makes it work. Look again. 1 Corinthians now, 6.12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Now, I have to ask the question. When I, that means I, I, I have this liberty to do it, but here, I, I want to add something to you you need to think about. Is it really good for me? Does it really edify me and, 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 and build me up or, or build you up in your case? Will it stumble you or stumble someone else if I do it? Will it draw me deeper into Christ than I've ever been before? That's where I need to be. That's where you need to be. Because life is tough. When you're going through those real painful, crushing times, to know that Christ is still on the throne, to know that you're victorious, know that, that vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and you know to be absent the bodies be present with the Lord, that's that hope. Being grounded to Him will keep you until that day that He will finish that work. Well, look with me at mysticism. It's in verse 18 and 19. He says, Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize mysticism it's kind of hard to imagine that that a pastor a leader a teacher and sometimes would be defrauding you has another agenda until you look at tv sometimes the manipulation and this is what it was about these people these people here were leading them astray they're like a Pied Piper drawing them away. They could make the story sound good. That's what cults do. You can take the Word of God and make it say anything you want. But what we want to know is what is the author's intent. What was the Lord really saying? Why did He say it? What did it mean to the people at that time? And now how do I apply it to my own life? But they were speaking in such a way that tingled the ears, just as Second Timothy talks about in the end times that will be. In the Old Testament talks about in the end times, God will send a, a famine of hearing, not of food. Hearing, that means people will not want to hear the Word of God because they have itching ears. Tell me what I want to hear. Don't tell me the truth. Just tell me I can do anything I want and I'm going to go to heaven. Just make them comfortable while they're going to hell. But that's not God's word. Don't notice, let anyone, I'm going to put it another way, disqualify you. Paul goes on and say by, by the show of superior humility. Oh, if you just do these things, you know, oh, you're so humble. Calling attention to themselves instead of pointing people to Jesus Christ. As if they've got into some kind of club and they've been initiated and they know the deeper things that you and I don't know. Let me encourage you. You can have all of Jesus you want. The question really boils down to this. How much of Jesus 
do you want? The wife who wants all that Jesus has for her and the husband who wants all that Jesus has for her will have the very best marriage you could ever, ever imagine. Because that marriage is in Christ Jesus. So there's these people that pretend to be on a a higher plane, a, a greater spiritual experience, and you've probably seen them before. Well, there's nine words that we focused upon, and, and, and two of them are really kind of the, the same word, but it doesn't come across in our English. In verse 18, it's that defrauding and prize. It's really the same word. It's the context, the verbiage, that, that change the actual meaning of that word. But that verb, again, that prize, is the same as the word used for umpire. Umpire. Let the, the peace of Christ umpire or rule your hearts is what it's talking about. Well, see, the reason I'm bringing this out is because this verse can have a double meaning. Because the word is used either way, and it's not clear what it means. So I'm going to give you both meanings, and both, I think, are good. I'm prejudiced to one. We're all prejudiced in some way. That's okay. We'll see how it pans out in the end. But look again. Because of this double relationship, he, he's warning them. And I'm saying there's two interpretations. The first one, the believer could lose his reward at the judgment seat of Christ if he fails to maintain a, a doctrinal steadfastness. We don't like that word doctrine. It simply means teaching. But if you do not stay doctrinally pure, what the scripture is really saying, I, I believe there could be a loss of rewards there. Now, rewards is for for your faithfulness in Christ, those things that he's empowered you to, yes. But if you don't keep your life in order, it's not a loss of salvation, it's a loss of rewards. But I think there's a verse that kind of reflects that in 2 John 8, 1. Notice on the screen, it says, Watch yourselves so you do not lose what you've accomplished, but you receive a full reward. And that's why I believe, and there's other verses to support that, that it's possibly God has much more for you than you're willing to accept. It's meaning that we have to rightly divide that word. We have to study it and tear it apart in a certain sense. Well, there's a second meaning. The, the believer really should stop anyone from giving official judgment against the lack of legalism. That person that is coming down upon you or maybe coming down upon some, you need to, to stop that, not listen to that, not allow that, not allow it to be spoken into your home, into the relationships around you. One time I heard John Corson, he says, the Jehovah Witnesses, and I, you know, they would come on his door and knock, and he says, well, that's not what the Bible says. Let me show you. Oh, no, no. And they wouldn't listen, so they go to the next door. He says, let me go with you, and he takes his Bible, and he goes to the next door. And they would say something. He says, no, no, let me show you in the Bible. And then they started to go to the next door. No, you leave us alone. No, I'm coming with you. Well, I tried that too, and they quit coming to my house. You know, it's kind of like this. You have to stop it. Work salvation. If you just work harder, God will just love you more. And if you keep working, maybe you can go to heaven. What kind of peace is that if you're on your deathbed and all of a sudden you have a sharp pain and for the first time in 30 years you say one cuss word. Oh, gosh, I'm going to hell now. This book 
was written that you might know that you have eternal life and this eternal life is in Jesus Christ. Not because you blow it on your deathbed. There are many people in bondage. And you and I, when we know that, we have that responsibility to come along and help set these captives free because God's given you his Holy Spirit. He's given you the word. And not allow these legalizers to inoculate people because they will draw people after themselves. And you and I have that responsibility. Guess what? It's not just the pastor's job. It's every one of us to stand beside our moms, our kids, our friends, our neighbors. We cannot say we love them and just let them be sucked away into this world. Look at Romans 14, verse 12 and 13 on the screen. So then each one of us is to give account for himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle of stumbling block in a brother's way. And if you see someone doing it, say, you know what? That's not what the Bible says. Why don't you come over? I'll get a pizza. Let's look at the word together. Remember that scripture says, if anyone come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross and follow him. One of the ways to deny yourself, you may have something else to do, but that person should be more important than what you have to do. I believe both positions, both views are probably true and somewhere between both of them there's a balance. But what's important is that we're motivated by love to do what we do, not because it's just a law. Love. That's the mark of a Christian. Now self-abasement is a a voluntary self-punishment or humiliation in order to atone for some real or even imaginary sin. People, in the 1800s, it was very popular, 1700s, that they would whip themselves, beat themselves, walk across glass to try and find favor with God. I've seen people that... You know, they do something stupid. Anybody do something stupid? Here, I'll put my hand up. And they turn around and punch themselves. Or they take their fist and they're angry and they throw it in the wall and they break their hand. But in this case, what it's talking about is people are abusing their body to think they can get closer to God if this is the temple of God. God is pleased with you. He accepts you just the way you are and he begins that work and process in you. See, it goes on in this text and humility is a a virtue. It's linked with this worship of angels that we read in that bigger contrast in verse 23. And the worship of angels really is idolatry. And they were thinking themselves more holy. See, because God, well, it's okay. You can believe in Christ. And some religions today say it's okay. You can believe in Christ, but our God is bigger, or you've got to do this, or you've got to do that. No, Christ is enough. And they were assuming that Christ was just another angel. But he wasn't active in our lives. I know. 
And if you're a born-again believer, you know that He's active in your lives, convicting you, encouraging you, and moving you down that path. But they were finding pleasure and excitement in, in really in these angels, exalting themselves. In fact, verse 18 goes on to say, inflated with a, a cause of some fleshly mind. It's talking about this false humility. Humility. This false pride. In fact, Romans 8, 7 says this, because the mind is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. You know, the truth is, I want to encourage you. It's okay. I know God's at work in you, but you're a bunch of rebels. That's really what it's saying. We're a bunch of rebels. And being converted, being changed, being transformed day in and day out as we submit to Him. If there's a path you know is right and wrong, how many times are you tempted to go the wrong way? You know that you have that rebellious heart. But God will finish that work. It's a struggle that's on side. And see, when you begin to let go of Jesus Christ, it's so much easier to stray away, allow that rebel to take you away and down that wrong path. Look at verse 19, holding fast to the head. In fact, they weren't holding fast to the head. They weren't holding on to Jesus Christ. They were exalting things over Jesus Christ. They were deserting him, just as the Galatians were deserting the gospel or deserting Christ for another gospel, which was not even a gospel at all. Because these people, they could take the words and make it so sweet, sounds so good. And they were drawing people after themselves. In fact, it was kind of a form of Gnosticism to know. They know, and I want to know what they know. Because I like what they say. And they were being drawn away. And they were dethroning Christ. He wasn't enough. He wasn't supreme. That was the heresy that was within this church. They did it while praising Christ at the same time. They were mixed with mysticism and paganism. They needed to hold fast to the head, emphasizing the necessity, and this is important, moment by moment dependence upon the Lord. Have you ever been in that place where, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. The reality is you need him every hour. It doesn't matter whether you're sick or not sick because the enemy is bombarding your mind day in and day out. And this world is full of temptations. Now, what happens sometimes is we're trying to hold on to to yesterday's help. Or yesterday's manna. The Word was so good yesterday, and I'm trying to hang on it today, and tomorrow you need to hang on to Him every day. You need fresh manna every day. You need to hear from Him every day. In fact, you need to hear from Him regular through the day. I have not managed, not even close, to walk 24-7 with God. I haven't managed to do it in 12 hours. 
Let's get more reasonable. Six hours. Four hours. How about one hour? It's hard, isn't it? Because your mind is being bombarded. This is what the enemy is attacking you to stay focused completely on him. Yes, you turn back. But imagine if he wasn't the center of your thoughts, the center of your actions, and reminding yourself continually, having brothers and sisters around you that share that same faith. It's so easy to be drawn away. I can't imagine those people who are not in fellowship with other Christians trying to survive in this world on their own. Well, I can worship Christ here. I know that. But man, I need to be around other brothers and encourage to remind me where my focus needs to be. So in fact, if Christ is not enough for you, you will be easily lured away after a cult. Now when cults come in, understand they're not going to go to somebody who is knows the Bible well. They don't want to talk to you. They're going to pray. Remember that word, P-R-E-Y, They're going to pray on that new believer, that weak person, that person sick, and they're going to draw them away. That's why we have to stand in the gap. We need to be praying. We need to come alongside. That's why we're called to go and make disciples. Disciples isn't always going outside. It's right here. It's in your own neighborhood, your own family, your own community. And for some, it may be going afar. To watch out, to protect, to nurture Ephesians 4.14 says this, As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried by every wind of doctrine and the trickery of man, the craftiness and deceitful scheming. This should grieve our hearts that this is within the body of Christ, professing body of Christ, that they're people deceitful, scheming. They're concerned about numbers and not about people. They're concerned about their pockets and not about God. So what's the answer? It says that we need to mature. No longer be like children, tossed and turned. You need to know the Word of God. You need to be in it. You need to have someone that you can share with, someone to encourage you, someone to open the Word. I I don't understand this. I'm confused. You need to be in a, a home study when you can, ministering and being mature. So what are we to do? We're to grow and mature and learn to apply the Scripture to our lives. Not to be dependent just upon a pastor here, but to to be dependent upon God, looking to Him to guide you and direct you each and every day. Look at verse 19, from whom the entire body being supplied, held together by joints and ligaments, and grow with the growth in which is from God. So God, see, as you're in Him, He will help you grow. And we are a body together, functioning together. The headship, though, of Christ is this principal theme throughout the whole book of Colossians. Christ is head. He is supreme. He is God. He is the creator. It's the heart of Paul's Christology. Look with me in verses 20 and 23. Let's read them together again. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, 
Why as if you were living in the world do you submit yourself to these decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but have no value against the fleshly desire and indulgence. See, Paul's condemned, again, legalism and mysticism and now a cynicism. These practices is a, a rigorous self-denial of self. Self-mortification, I've already talked about a little bit. In order to be more spiritual, you have to abuse your body. No, that, that isn't what you need to do. It's to put your eyes upon Jesus Christ as the author and finisher of your faith. And this is, this is what the false teachers were offering. This is what you need to do. They're a list of do's and don'ts. And that's what the world knows about the church. You can't do this, and you can't do that. But do they know Jesus Christ? Have you told them about Jesus Christ? Have you told them about your personal God that loves you and died for you on the cross? And he's died for them. See, now, these group of people, they were seemed to be morally pure. Please understand that they, they didn't practice promiscuous sex or anything like that. They, they were set apart. They really looked holy. But they were prideful. They looked down upon others who didn't live and act like them, just like legalism. They condemned others who were less disciplined. And all of us grow at different rates, and all of us will function differently. Some will have more legalistic tendencies, yes. But they were judging. They were lack the humility. They were not humble. And see, it's humility God wants it. In a humble person, is there anyone humble here? Don't hold your hand up, please. Because if you hold your hand up, you just lost that humility. See, you're not humble. A humble person does not think about himself or herself. It's the absence of, of that which is important. He's, so he's unconscious. She's unconscious of that self. Now, we all need more discipline. Will you agree? Some of us have a problem. We're not going to name names here. Okay. Some of us eat too much. Some of us are a little overweight. Some of us drink too much coffee and too much tea and Maybe a little upset and nervous because of that. Some maybe a little too much chocolate. We can go on with the list. We do need to remember that our bodies are the temple of God. And that we should want to honor God. Look at verse 20. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why is it that you're living in the world? Do you submit? Since is really the word could be Changed instead of if, since you have died, you have identified with Christ. Elementary principles, those ABCs, they're the fundamentals. And John seventeen fifteen says this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. We're in the world, but we're going to trust in God. He's going to protect us. Colossians 1, 13, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So when they says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch... These things all perish. Our rest is in Christ himself. These rules will not keep you in Christ. 
What keeps you in Christ is that love of Christ. 1 Timothy 6.17 says this, Instruct those who are rich in the present world not to be conceited or fix a hope on uncertain riches, but upon God who richly supplies all things for us to enjoy. We can enjoy these things, but in a modest way. But again, 1 Timothy 4.3, and I'm about to finish here, Men who forbid marriage advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in those who believe and know the truth. So these were men's rules. Traditions of men. Don't let them bind these upon you. Sadly, we see these in the church. Mark 7, verse 6 through 8. Notice what it says. And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy, you hypocrites, strong words, as written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. But in vain they do they worship me, teaching doctrines of precepts of men. Neglecting the commandments of God, you hold to the tradition of men. What do you hold to? To Christ or to the rules of men? We're not to let anyone judge us. If we simply hold to Christ, He is enough. We don't need to approach Christ in any certain way, any certain form of worship. We could have, and we may have one Sunday morning, a a, a Christian jazz worship team come up here one day. But you can worship God. Because how do we worship? We worship in spirit and truth. Because it's hearts that connect with God. And God's wanting to connect with you.